Hey, what is up, Penenters, Executive Recruiters, from Owners? Uh, this is Dave Stephen Patterson. You may know me as DSP. This is Headhunters Live. And right over here, we have my brother, my brother from another mother, Neil Lebovitz. Right over here, we have the most beautiful man in recruitment today, Chris Wessel. And today we have Joshua William May, Josh May, on the call. I'm excited, guys. How are you? Well, he's, you know, he's kind of getting a little competition for best hair. I'm a little concerned. <laughs> his, his mane is going to, like, put my, you know, whole thing just, I don't know. But I feel like we now have appeal across a number of demographics because you got, you know, Neil's got a look. You know, some of them like the 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 tough, uh, you know, burly DSP look. Some of them like. Oh, I thought you were referring to me. <laughs> and now, we, you know, now we got somebody who's got a carefully coiffed, like long hair and stuff. And I don't know, maybe maybe he just is at his desk all the time and doesn't ever get up. And that's why it just keeps getting longer. Maybe because he's just putting in the hours. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. You want to pretty nice. funny when we talk about, about Neil's attractiveness or not. And you say, well, he has a look. <laughs> I know. Why'd you just say it? New York Jew look or Howie Mandel? I don't know. It's one of the two. Speaking of which, you know, Josh has said that he had to go to New Jersey for for a trip and he was thinking about someone said he should cut his hair short or whatever. And they're like, my biggest concern was like, why do you have to go to New Jersey? Like, do you have to serve out a sentence? Like, what did you do wrong? And then, you know, Neil got all upset because I, you know, I, I kind of I think I may have upset his people. I don't know. But that I mean, Jersey. People. I, don't, I don't know why you would say that, Christian. Um, but let's say Chris, David and I behind the scenes. Chris is the most handsome of the three of us. OK, let's call it what it is. And in fact, not even a distant competition. Right. He's just this ridiculously chiseled man. And anytime he comes on, David and I deflate. I don't know how to explain it. Right, David? How would you like? And Tris is trying to make nice. Like, well, we each appeal to somebody. Actually, no, I, 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 I inflate like a puffer fish because I'm, because I'm trying to intimidate him and, and, and have him see me as an alpha. That's my that's my survival strategy. <laughs> really, if you've never met DSP in person, he's about 36 inches tall. So, like, that, it's he's just but he's stocky. <laughs> yeah, burger Meister burger. So today we have Joshua William May on the call. We're going to bring him on in just a few minutes. By the way, sorry for being late, guys. We actually had an aborted uh, 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 first try going live, but now we should be good to go. So Josh May is one of the best contributors in the Herc, uh, the headhunter and executive recruiter community. He's one of the original members. I've known him for six, maybe seven, actually seven years, I guess, a long time. And um, great guy. He always posts in the group about about uh, just tips and tricks about winning clients, how not to get bent over by clients, as he puts it, uh, about uh, 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 getting in exclusive work, engaged work, retained work. He's one of the best contributors in the Herc, and I'm really, really excited to have him on. So before I do that, we're going to bring him on in about 10 seconds. If you guys are watching live, please comment live down below so we know you can hear us. If you have any questions for Josh, put them down below as well. And if you're watching the replay, please comment replay. We want to see who's watching. And if you like the show, if you enjoy it, give us a like, give us a, a, a share. If everybody watching the show shared the show, we would be huge overnight. So we appreciate you. That said, let's bring on uh, the man of the hour, Mr. Joshua William May. Let's do one of, uh, for today's show, let's actually do one of these things. No, let's do that. There we go. There we go. Howdy, howdy. A little bit different today. What's You're, up, like Josh? You're like a wizard on that keyboard of, of video. 
I know, right? Isn't it great. Well, hey, Josh. So we're really excited to have you on board, man. I'm, uh, you're actually one of my favorite people here in the group. Um, but who are you? Like, what do you do? Like, what? Who, what's your story? Introduce the audience to yourself. Oh gosh, uh, what is my story? You know, my story is very simple. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was in college, getting my degree in professional writing and technical writing, and I chose that because I'm a really good writer. Turns out I'm a creative writer, not a technical writer. Don't enjoy writing safety manuals and how-to manuals. And uh, while I graduated, I had to ask myself, what do I want to do for a, lot, a living? And I, back in the day, Craigslist was still around, and I saw a job ad for a recruiter. Third-party recruiter uh, was recruiting me for a third-party recruiting company. And she told me to do a lot of homework and figure out if it's the career I wanted to do. So who am I? I realized I wanted to be a recruiter because I really like helping people. And so I did the research and um, I was like, yeah, I want to become a recruiter. You know, I, I, every day I just try to help anyone I can Read with the servant chart, really. You know, it's not often you hear about somebody getting into business through Craigslist. I heard it was through <laughs> Backpage, actually. I think he's just trying to soften the story. I think it was actually on Backpage. Yeah, so my question on Backpage, is why, if it was a recruiter interview on Craigslist, did they ask you, this woman, to show up at that hotel in a bathing suit? That strikes me as weird. I'm just saying that's a flag. You know, sex Chris, how, do you know how do you know what back page is? How do you what? know what back page is, sir? How do what? What? How do you know what back page is? Doing? What is back page? I really don't know. There was so a, I'm going to be honest with you, Josh. None of us, including the audience, heard anything you said after Craigslist. Our head, that's, we were all dying to explode with our comments. <laughs> I Can apologize for right my here. What category was it oh, under? What's <laughs> Wait, let, let him do a flip first, just so before we start. Show him what's going on back there. You got that Kurt Cobain thing. We love the hair. There. Oh, show hair. that. Show your main brother. Yeah, show the back too. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Yeah, I might right. see that. The topic of hair came up, uh, audience, earlier because Chris really intimidated me whenever he jumped on. I'm like, holy crap, someone has better hair than me. So I was, uh, was really nervous. That's right. And that's where he got into the green room discussion of Chris being well, so good looking and sets us. And then Chris tried to make up, well, no, you appeal to a certain demo. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, well, you know, uh, Chris made a theory on how it happened. His, his theory of how my hair happened is actually 100% right. My first six months in my business, I literally did not leave my house. I was on the phone all the time. I was recruiting, working. One day, I first I met you, you had that long ponytail. It, it was, it was, it was. Oh, yeah, direct. yeah. Way yeah, back then, I was, yeah. I was real hippie back then. But, uh, no, I look up six months later and I have a beard. I've never been able to grow a beard in my life. It's never gone away since. And my hair was long. I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of nice. So, you know, so, so speaking of Kurt Cobain, he was a great professional musician. He was a lousy amateur painter. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so, right. don't you have a Kurt Cobain joke? <laughs> I have plenty. Of, what what uh, what color was Kirk, Kirk Cobain's eyes? Blue. One blue this way. One blue that way. Oh God! <laughs> I got a ton of Kirk Cobain joke. Anyway. Oh my that, God. That's it, Josh. Uh, well, well, right, Josh, let's, let's 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 talk about but you know, one 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 thing I want to talk about is um, is actually your journey, especially around. Um, uh, uh, the, I guess the, the coof, you know, the, the big lockdowns, I know you had to make some big pivots in your business. And I know that a lot of people right now are looking at their industries, maybe that are, that are flat or, 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 or um, uh, getting soft and they're a little bit worried and wondering if they need to pivot or what, what they need to do. So 
Uh, well, I'll just do that because you have a pretty interesting story about that, about how you came to where you are right now. Okay. So I work in oil and gas and energy is my core niche. And if anyone knows anything about that industry, it's up and down because of government regulations and elections and you know, you never know. Uh, so I was going through a down period and I'm coming back out of it, uh, before 2020, uh, just crawling my way to the top. And then, and I think I'm over the hill and going to shoot for the stars and I'm having a hundred thousand dollar month come up my way with March of 2020. But unfortunately the past three to four months of work that I had done was all for naught because no one got to start because the economy shut down. Now that is the economy shut down. Oil for the first time in my life has, is in the negatives. I mean, people are be, being paid to take their oil off their uh, hands. I know that, yeah. And you know, what do I work in? <laughs> oil and gas. So I, that ironically, that, that Monday, the economy shut down was also the first time in my life I ever got a retainer. So that day I went into freakout mode, called some people and I got a retainer for a completely new niche in financial planning. Um, how did I end up in financial planning? I just looked at my own personal network to figure out who I can call and where I can call to pick up a job order somewhere, somehow get some cash in because I wanted that. I needed the cash and I took that order and I just kept. And so my focus became financial planning for a period of time. And, uh, but I always kept one foot in a dead market being oil and gas, because when it comes back, who are they going to call? One of the only players left standing. So that's always been my strategy. I've had to pivot a lot over the years because I work in oil and gas. I've been doing it since 2012. Um, but each time you keep one foot in the dead market and the other foot in a market. How? how? How do you keep a dead foot in? I mean, how do you keep a foot in the dead market? How? Rotating phone calls every three months to key hiring managers Got and it. candidates. Got it. Just call frequency presence kind of thing. God. Yeah, yeah. You're not, yeah. Are you working orders with them, right? Or you don't work them because the odds of filling them, like, what do you, like, you well, just stay I, warm get, and planning? If I get orders and I take them, I have a very high chance of filling them within my niche, uh, contingency or otherwise. Um, but I, I'm only pick. I only take the orders that I know I can fill. Uh, to answer your question, it's a, it's a, it depends, but you know, for the most part, I've always been able to build six figures in a dead market. Um, but you know, in, in that dead niche, but uh, I'm very picky about the worlds I do work because they will waste your time. Yes. But whenever you're calling your clients or your candidates, you got to always call and provide them value. So what's the value to the clients? talking about what's going on in the market. Maybe, you know, there's some hot candidates in the market or maybe things are changing and their competitors are doing things. What's the value to candidates? Again, talking about what's going on in the market, what you see similar people to them are doing that to advance their careers because they've all been laid off and now everyone's just scrambling. Well, here's how I've seen other people succeed. You may not get them jobs, but you're helping them out. In the future, that will come back and pay you tenfold. And all of that's getting you information with every single phone call that just feeds into the next calls. That's where all of that comes. So every one of those calls is adding to that knowledge. The only objective into anything in this career is information. Information is power. So that's all we're trying to do is we're trying to collect info and figure out how to use it. So yes, uh, you know, whether you're trying to get a candidate for a job, okay, if I can't get you for this job, what info can I collect from you? Same for the client. 
Yeah, yeah. In fact, in fact, when I when I, when I first got into this business, you know, and this is back before we really used a lot of email. I mean, we were just we we're just dialing the phone back in two thousand, um, and you know, no LinkedIn at that point. And so the only way you got names was either through referral or through or uh, or through rusing, let's say, at like a front desk clerk to get names of people and you know, stuff like that, like the old school recruiting. And and the, the very first lesson I was told is that if you want to build relationships, you can't just always call and say, if you need anybody, I can help me anybody, I can help me anybody, I can help you guys. That's add value. Networking is our stock and trade or information or however you want to put it. Um, and um, and I and I think I heard this from Jeff K. He said something, I forget exactly how he put it, but he said as a, as a recruiter, the information that you have is, is so valuable. You can go to a, a, a McKinsey company, spend a quarter million dollars on a three-month study, and 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 they you know they, and, and and they'll give you a leather-bound uh, a book with charts, graphs, blah, 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 or talk to me for 15 minutes. I'll give you the real deal because I talk to every candidate. I know who's hiring, who's firing, who's laying off, who has projects, who doesn't have projects. I know the scuttlebutt. Let's I'd love to hear what's going on with you. And I think uh, a lot of recruiters in the days, in these days of LinkedIn kind of forget that. Mm -hmm. They really do. It, it's, it's more transactional, right? But it's that, it's that conversation that you have where you share that information and you help and you give value to them and help them, whether it be their own career or, or whatever it is. Uh, that builds that that's the seed of that relationship and they made you business with you a year later two years later or whatever i think that's it, a, a, a really important lesson for people to learn information has gotten me retainers it's you know everything information is power yeah so josh is it a safe to say so you're you wanted to expand your need for sure which is huge because all the trainers all of us have talked about the, the importance of doing that and especially in, in an industry that gets decimated like construction and when that was bad in the, in the last recession oil and gas you name it mortgages right during the during the shutdown so you got into financial planning which is the way i it wasn't it was by accident kind of the first one wasn't it josh mm -hmm. and then you went where the market told you and where your interest was and where you can leverage it was by accident or not by accident because you leverage the people but tell them about that you didn't seek out financial planning how'd that niche come about so, you know, I have always been a very old school building a niche kind of guy, which is NPC marketing. Okay. I've, I've pretty much, I love to skill market candidates because they're rejecting the candidate and not me whenever I do get ultimately rejected. So whenever the industry crashed, I had nothing. So I thought to myself, who, what are the other trainers before me? What, what do they say? Well, they say your personal contacts can be a potential business, uh, client leads. So I just looked at all my personal contacts. I started making calls to hiring authorities or people that were in positions to where they can maybe give me a lead to give me to help them find candidates. And I got lucky, quite frankly. I mean, I did it on the same day that I lost almost six figures in billings because they didn't get to start. And I collect a $5,000 retainer for a front desk admin receptionist, by the way. Don't ask me how. They didn't ultimately never even build it because... Uh, they ended up hiring the financial advisor that they were going to be. It, it's a long story, but um, ultimately I got lucky in finding that financial advisor niche. And it happened to be one of the only industries during 2020 that was going to be going up because what's happening, the economy shutting down. So the retirement 401k financial planning investments, those are all expanding. I got, um, now if I wouldn't have done that, I would have kept making calls and probably ended up in a CPA tax firm or something like that because everyone always needs taxes. But what I'm trying to say is on any of our desks, there's so much value with the candidates that you have, the references that they have that you got to check. 
the people that you know in your network. As long as you just stay focused and pick a niche, you can make it. You just got to pick one area and geographical location at the same time, in my opinion. Actually, so so with that, so so looking back at that, right? So and that, now I know right now, I know right now you're not doing that that niche. I think you're in IT and engineering, if I remember correctly, or do more tech related. Yeah. Yeah, um, engineering. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. I know that um, for people who are pivoting like that, you talk about keeping one foot in in the dead in a dead niche because when it comes back, you'll be the one there pick up the pieces. But what other other cautionary tales can you tell us about about pivoting like that? Because I know pivoting is just as simple as pivoting, right? Um, because you do lose some momentum, uh, at the the momentum that you had in other industries. So, what are what do you think some of the big mistakes other people make when they do move to a new industry like that? Or, or try to pivot beyond just not staying in touch with their own network. Okay. Um, well, I, I'm a big believer in being geographically focused. You can't yeah. just say, I'm going to go and recruit nurses or doctors or whatever. You have to say, I'm going to recruit tax accountants in uh, Miami, Florida, and I'm going to only call the tax firms and I'm not going to recruit accountants for, uh, corporate clients, right? Because everyone's going after those. Like you have to be very, very focused, whatever niche you're picking, you just, you pick one niche and you focus that geography, you focus those roles and you get to know everyone in that market and you don't give up until you make a placement. Um, that's the thing. A lot of people end up stopping along the way. Uh, rejection is not easy, but it gets easier as, as time goes on. So just keep dialing, keep making phone calls. It is a numbers game. When it comes down to it, this game that recruiting is planting a lot of seeds and nurturing those seeds. Then it's fishing and you reel those fish in. And sometimes those fish aren't big enough and you, or they're not ready to go out in the market. And you throw them back in the sea. But one day you reel those fish in and it's and, and you get jack, uh, you win jackpot. I also used to look at this job. I'm sorry, getting tongue tied. I used to look at this job as uh, gambling. You put a coin in a coin slot, enough times you're going to hit jackpot. So I look at it now like planting seeds, fishing, and then eventually you win. All right. So let's talk about uh, as you put it in the green room. So in the green room, you were talking about um, about you know, so, you know, so about the reason why you give advice on the Herc, uh, which which we, we really appreciate that you do this is because you don't want recruiters to be, I think, as you put it, bent over by their clients. Mm -hmm. um, let's di let's dive into that because I think right now uh, in this space. I think a lot of recruiters are just thankful to get the business mm -hmm. and you're thankful to get the business. You no, know, you're given the client all the power. And that's obviously, as, as we all know, it's, 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 a, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Right. Uh, so dive into that. So, um, uh, what, what did you put it like that? Like recruiters getting bent over by clients? Cause that's, so, that's, a, that's a pretty harsh way to, way to say it. Look, there are, there are plenty of clients out there who will bend, bend you over backwards and take advantage of you. And the thing is, is do you want to work for those clients? Do you want to fight them and try and make them uh, see the value in you? Or do you want to move on and find the clients that are going to pay you and treat you like a valued partner? Uh, so I'm very clear with my clients whenever I'm talking with them that I'm, you're not paying me to give them new names. You're not paying me to give, to give you um, a person. You're paying me for the process. You're paying me to get an end result of a candidate starting. Whether that person used to be uh, someone that worked there, whether that person was your brother-in-law, whether that person uh, is someone that applied to that role before, whether that person 
try uh, rejected a job from me all before. I, I, the list can go on. These are all examples of how the candidates I've gotten paid for from my clients, because in the end, I'm very clear that you're not paying me, but to work a process to find the best candidate in the market to get the job done. Um, so I make them aware. I make them realize that this is a profession. You know, we are real humans. We're trying to do a job. Our job is to find the candidates in the market and to work a process to get to get you intel at the worst case scenario. Once they put that into their head and they can move on to other things that are their priority, they will pay you for any candidate. It, it, they you might have to argue with them about previous submitted candidates, submitted candidates, but even then that's such a rare occurrence. You tell them that, Hey, the candidates will sign a right to represent. They usually get over that really quick. Once the candidates sign that right to represent, and they're going to uh, say that you can represent them. All I'm trying to say is all the ifs, ands, or buts, like, you know, like I'm worried about uh, credits on submittals. I'm worried about getting paid on time. I'm worried about, money back guarantees you have to break it down and explain to the client that all the risk is not going to be in my corner i'm not going to agree to a money back guarantee or a placement guarantee sure there's i, I don't there's a variety of examples i can give you I, i'm sorry i just i can talk on and on but for no. me i'll go for it all i try to get at is that but for whose efforts is this hire being made if they respect the but for rule work with them if they don't move on and as long as you, and, and if you're if you don't treat yourself like a commodity which a lot of recruiters do like and, and there's a reason can't a lot of i wouldn't even call them clients but prospect prospective clients treat us this way it's because a lot of us treat ourselves this way right like we mm -hmm. just chuck in resume and you're like what do you think of this one what do you think of this one so like when we tie our value strictly to like yeah the finding of an individual as opposed to the working of a yeah. process, the helping them select the right person, maybe in some cases even validating that they made this is the correct hire, you know, mm -hmm. and we frame it away like like when when I I haven't done a money back guarantee in I don't know ten plus years and and I know that that's good for me, but as long as I can express to the client why it's good for them, then then they're like oh yeah it makes sense because I'll say like what what's more important this role filled or, or your money back, right like you're gonna pay me twenty thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars to do this you need this engineering manager or whatever, you know, does that, at the end of the day, that fix the problem? If, if I just, as an aside, I just have to say invent, and I haven't been doing recruiting for years, but how on earth did they expect a refund back? Like you think we're more responsible than you, you picked them. I brought them to you. You interviewed them. You hired them. How am I responsible? My, my, I guarantee, my guarantee specifies um, that, that if, if they are, release for if they're uh, released for cause right that's when i'll do it it doesn't include if they quit and i had a i had a ceo ask me one time they were like well what if um you know what, what about if they quit what if they get a month in and then and they leave they find something better and i'm like well i mean that's that's on you like my like that's job is finding the person. The person. It's, i did it complete yeah, it's over right. and i mean at that point the retention is really around you know it's more of like a, a courtesy to do a replacement but yeah. at the other day, like, I you know, you we were also involved. I didn't just pick a person, drop them in front of you and you hired them on the spot. This wasn't a go to work or whatever, if any of us remember those. But like oh this is God. you picked this person, you a bunch of you met with them. You applied your own measures to deciding if this is a good fit, you know, as a courtesy, if they get let go and they, they, they flame out in a couple of months or whatever, I'll 
I'll find you somebody new. I want to preserve the relationship, et cetera. But like if, if a month in somebody quits because you're a fucking asshole or like. <laughs> I, I would I would even say, look, you would want me still around in that scenario so I can call that candidate, find out the real story of why they really quit. In fact, I mean, I use that with my clients all the time. Like, hey, you want me to call the people that quit you and find out the real story. So, uh, hey, so all right, so so so, so it's all well and good, I think, in, in terms of uh, uh, make sure you find clients that that respect you, right, and that and they work your process and you're selling the process. However, at the end of the day, you know, I know that um, I know I, I know I know that before I became smooth with the ladies, and as much, much as my mama said that I was a catch, and any lady would be would be would be lucky to have me. At the end of the day, you know, twenty year old uh, DSP couldn't get a date. Um, so I, I didn't have a chance to even, uh, show how great I was until I, again, I, 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 I until I proved my, my, my smoothness score, if you will. Right. Um, so that said for these recruiters that are having trouble even getting in front of clients or, or how, to up the clients by how, like how, uh, how do you do that? Like, uh, how do you get yourself in a position to be able to have those conversations in the first place? Uh, so I'm a big believer in, um, NPC skill marketing, a most placeable candidate. Now you can have multiple most yeah. candidates in your in your database, okay? But whatever types of jobs you recruit for, for each type of job, you have one NPC for each one. Have one ready to go at all times. So in my case, I'm an electrical engineer, a chemical engineer, a mechanical engineer, project manager, uh, project engineer, uh, director of engineering, engineering manager. Usually in my back pocket at all times for various different subsectors within my market. So whenever I'm making a skill market uh, call, I have candidates that I can just quickly go to and start, you know, pitching them because in the end, uh, whenever I'm skill marketing candidates and I get rejected, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting those candidates. So whenever I call them back again in the future with another candidate, who are they rejecting again? That new candidate, not me. Um, put a fish in front of them enough times, so they'll uh, they'll take the bait. So they'll call you back. I'm sorry, keep going, buddy. No, no, they'll call you back whenever they have a need. Go ahead. No, I was just saying on the skill market, I was going to ask the whole group because it just hit me. Skill marketing, MPCing, it's debatable by so many people. There's so many shows on it. I've yet to meet anyone billing half a million plus that doesn't believe in skill marketing. Have anyone on our show? I'm just asking, is that, do you know anybody? Like, I think well, now, I, 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 will, I, I will say this. So, so for me, I come from the IT world. Uh, well, Specifically SAP, but in IT, you know, for me, I never, I never liked NPCs originally because I didn't want to be lumped in with all the body shops because there's in IT, there's a lot of body shops and you kind of get lumped into that. Uh, but it's when I started NPCing leaders. So when I, when, when I started NPCing like an SAP director or VP of IT, you know, it, it's a big demonstration of your value. Everybody says they like, you know, I find the best people. Great. We all do. I have the best network. Great. We all do. Like we all say the same things, but at the end of the day, you can say it all day long where you can show it in the quality of that you have. And what I realized is that when I started, when I, I used to poo poo NPCs because I was trying to NPC into like a developer and it's it just in the IT space is kind of tough because everybody was doing that. But when I started NPC in like an SAP director, for example, or like a high level person, rarely would people market that. And then it always became very easy for them to say, well, we don't need somebody like that, but we do need a solution architect. Like conversation and yeah, it's a great conversation starter. It's a demonstration of your higher value. It's, it's like uh, go back to dating. I can, I can talk all day long about my great job, my great car, my great life. And I'm a great guy, or I can show it through my actions and what's more powerful showing it through your actions. Just so Neil, and to your point about like, there's a lot, a lot of big builders you talk to that, that have done so that's been part of their strategy. And I think it's because 
it's something a lot of people like any like any strategy business development strategy people can do wrong or do well right and i think that the commonality is probably and i'm speculating but the commonality is probably that those people figured out how to do it well in a focused way that that showed like not only like value but also like josh was saying like market knowledge and and you know i mean because you could you could you could you could have a candidate and you could have a candidate you know what i mean like you could have just I got this person who's looking you need, and then you could have that could be part of it's all on how you approach it. Like you go back to like we would talk with like Steve Finkel and other people where we talk where we're talking about like the, the kind of the art of the conversation and the way that we frame things and the order that we talk about things and all that. Like there's so many different ways to go about it. And I feel like the people who are billing a lot all mention it because it's a component and they figured out how to do it well. It's not a big part of my strategy. I do it. I would say I do it periodically it's usually because of byproducts of searches i did i'm not knocking it, it just isn't something i i was the, talking about usual, it's, it's it's a piece of it not the objective of the npc campaign is not to necessarily get that candidate a job um at that client but to use them to get your foot in the door because you have uh more authority being in their market in order to like david said get potentially potentially other job orders because that's usually what happens. Is well, look at look, look look at your, your, your recruiting campaigns. If you look at if you, if you look at just the email rates and a thousand a thousand biz dev emails and a thousand recruiting emails, um, your recruiting campaign will have a way higher response rate because you've got something in hand that you're recruiting on versus on the biz dev side. You're saying, I I have to get this great service and I'm 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 fantastic, but you're selling this this nebulous sort of service versus you've got a job at hand. And I think the same applies for NPCs. Like they're they're more responsive to NPC marketing because you've got something in hand. It's not like this nebulous service. Right? Well, and you know, if you, how many spam emails do you get where oh, there's yeah. somebody pitching a bunch of people and there's this grid of candidates and, and it's, Hey, we have, you know, we've got these great mark and I'll see LinkedIn posts from like recruiters. I know they'll do this. They're like, Hey, we're representing these types of people right now, a project engineer and a nurse and a salesperson and a mark. And, yeah, and it's just like, it's like, who is this targeted to? It's garbage. Like that's yeah. doing it poorly. But if you reach out to someone in the construction industry, for example, because you maybe that's one of your spaces and you reach out and you're like, I have a project executive in your geography who's open to making a move. Here's just a couple sentences. And, and I don't send resumes when I do it because people don't want me sending their shit all around. Like I'm going to describe them in a few sentences and, and everybody's got a different style with that. Like I have a project executive in this region in the construction industry. And like not only that in your area of construction, because I know something about what I'm talking about. And is this somebody to be interested in having a conversation with? They're looking to make and make their next move. That is probably going to get some responses because that is a targeted message that demonstrates some market knowledge. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think also for me, for a training moment, what I would train people on MVPs is when you get this candidate that you talk to, you network with, you learn what walking money is, what a walking placement is. When you see that person, you know someone's going to spend 30 grand on them. That's when the light bulb has to go off. I'm going to make 30 grand off this person I just uncovered and someone will pay it. When you have that and you love this, can't you all know who they are? You love your MVP. You love your MPC. So the conviction, just that alone, the objection handling, the conviction as a salesperson, when you go and you got something meaty to be convicted over, convictions what sells. In all scripts, that's what they tell you in sales 101. So you, again, you go into it and we say, oh, I don't have an opening. You got to meet them. You talk to them. What are you nuts? So what that you did? You didn't make the offer yet. And like all that stuff that is real 
as a consultant, we get to do anyway. That's and then the rest, yeah. But oh my God, every reason I, I think to build it into your repertoire. I would not oh, be yeah. working today without conviction. I believe in what I'm selling, which is the people or the companies. I don't take on well, problem. Well, well, well man, uh, so Josh, what I like about you, and I've always liked about you, is your sense of of grit. You know, when you when you first, um, you know, when you meet you. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people realize kind of like all the other shit that you went through, excuse my French, in, 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 in this business, you know, and we all have some like war stories about that. So, uh, so let me ask you this. What is your, what is your, what, what is your juiciest war story um, about, you know, maybe either like a, what a candidate did to you, client did to you, or maybe coming up in the business, some hardships you have, but I know we all have those war stories. Uh, what's one of your juicy ones? Gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> okay, so one of the reasons why I don't work through HR only, or um, especially third-party HR, uh, one time I was very new in the industry. Uh, she, I was skill marketing a candidate, and this was to a company that uh, is Japanese-speaking primarily, and this candidate speaks Japanese, so there's like, and they're plug and play for the client. Like they wouldn't want to hire this person because they speak the language and do exactly what they do. Uh, this HR person told me that I was only allowed to go through her, send it to her. And if the client decides that she doesn't want to, they don't want to hire the candidate. She can send that candidate to whoever she wants. And if someone else hires that person, they're not, they, they aren't responsible for a fee. And that was in our agreement. The agreement states like, you know, you cannot submit our candidates to other people. And if you do, you owe us the money. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you have to be really careful about who you work with. If this, if this HR person didn't look at me as some newbie three months in, I take advantage of this person. I'm going to get this can. I'm going to go make money with this person elsewhere. Then I could have like lost a lot of money trying to submit a lot of candidates to that one company who um, I still recruit out up to this day because they still make bad third-party recruiting. Yeah, or similar, Josh, it reminds me of all those scenarios, to your point, where clients says, oh, they were in my database. Sorry, you're not getting a fee. What are you talking about? That's not a partnership. Mm -hmm. So what? Right? Mm -hmm. But for yeah. your point, Josh. Yeah. But for, right? But for. And you have to also add all that contractual language into your agreements. So in, in my agreements, for instance, I state if you get a referral from my client, for my candidates um, in the interview process or, or afterwards, um, having not hired the person, then and you hire those referrals, you owe me a fee. Because I also have that's that's a good one. I also have for the, the database one. Uh, my, my language is along the lines of um, the, the, the such and such about the fee. As I said, which is is due regardless of whether the candidate is previously known to the organization. Yeah. Because I also had somebody who was like, what, like a, a VP level hire at, at a mid-sized company. So it was like a thirty-ish thousand dollar fee, and and like literally had someone say, "Oh yeah, I was planning on calling them. Like I, I already know them." And I'm like, "Okay, but I already talked to them, and you didn't already call them." And so like, that's no, that's not, that's not how this is going to go. Now, did I ever do another hire with, I got paid. Did I ever, did I, did I know I was never going to work with that customer again? And were they never going to call me, but I was okay with that. But I'm like, that is no, don't give me this. Forget about a database. It was literally like, oh yeah, I know him. And I was planning on calling him. Yeah. yeah. No, I've, uh, there's a, there's a company out there in my industry that literally hires third party recruiters or contract recruiters to literally go and update their database and keep their candidates updated every six months. So that way, whenever people like us submit them, they can claim credit. Like it's literally a strategy. And I, and I know this because I've talked to them about it, the internal hires 
um, from management down to the actual recruiter. Um, and also, uh, sorry, huh? sorry, keep going. No, keep going. I was going to ask David a question when you're done. Keep going, Josh. No, no. And then the other thing, I just thought of a, a, a one another war story where I've actually had to sue to get paid. This is a while ago. They hired my vice president of sales and operations from me who worked for them for four months, brought in $32 million worth of business for them. And then they basically got rid of him because they took away some of his responsibilities that they promised, which was the operations part. He was, they wanted him just to do sales. He wasn't going to do both. So they gave him a severance and they told me after four months, they owed me money at, you know, 30 days. It was only a 90 day guarantee. Uh, they told me they wouldn't pay me. So, you know, it took nine months to get paid and we, we didn't get paid the whole fee, but, um, uh, that company certainly has a reputation now and, and, um, that what it's spun off to become, I still don't work with because they're pretty, uh, you know, that they'll screw you over like that. So yeah, David, this is not a shameless plug for you, but I remember you had a program for MPC. I don't know if you still do it. It was a digital one. It was really cool, right? It was a, a way actually, to really called, called the modern MPC campaign. Yeah, it's kind of modern. Actually, it's not. It's although it's not for sale at the moment. Uh, but I will be doing a. I will be opening it back up here fairly soon. However, I will say this. Um, and again, this will be a shameless plug. Uh, as uh-huh. many of you know, Neil, uh, the boss Limovitz, he is the uh, owner of Back Office Staffing Solutions. So, for anybody that needs a back office staffing or solutions provider you know, payroll. That's right. If you want to dip into contract work, which I think everybody should be doing nowadays, uh, go to backofficenow.com and sign up. Uh, in fact, they, I think that's a really cool app. So basically if you, if you want like a branded app that your contractors and your, your clients can use with like, your logo and your colors on, it looks really fancy. It looks like you spent a bunch of money developing this, this app. Actually, Neil spent the money, but you can get the credit. So coming soon, uh, the app coming soon, coming soon. Yeah, coming soon. I, 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 I've seen them all. Where do they get your boot camps and wonderful other material? Just plug yourself. I'll, I'll give right. you a shameless plug. And plug thank yourself. You, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody who, who wants a sales sales marketing system deployed in your practice, we have a 90 day ROI guarantee. Uh, you can go to uh, realdsp.me forward slash build and we'll build the entire thing for you in 30 days. And like I said, we have a 90 day guarantee. And one last thing before I get back to Josh, uh, for anybody that is interested in joining an off Facebook group, uh, for those folks who like free speech, don't like to be censored, don't like big text, a lot of data, but still want a community of recruiters, join uh, the Headhunter Syndicate. Uh, you can go to realdsp.me forward slash syndicate. You can also get there by going to just the URL, the headhunters.io, free to join, uh, free speech reigns, and uh, we'll love to see you there. All right. So if you're said, looking to wait, hire a leader for, oh, wait, never mind. We're not, I'm not talking myself. Hey, David, <laughs> your personal site, your personal link is the headhunters, and our group show is the headhunters live. We're going to sue you. Can we send out a cease and desist to Digital Headhunter as a group? How dare I didn't you? Cease and desist this. If he sends us a first, maybe we'll, maybe we'll lay off. Wow. Wow. I remember your Headhunters and Boxers days. I thought I had to wear boxers to be on this show or something. Uh, no, no. We wear boxers. I'm not even wearing pants right now. I'm, I'm, I'm free balling. Interesting <laughs> trivia. Um, uh, the original show was Headhunters and Boxers talking smack. We did well over 100 episodes. And literally, the first two episodes or so, David and I bought a whole slew of boxers, and we wore them the first couple episodes, and we would show them. 
And then we just stopped, right, David? But it, it's true. Yeah. It was now, Neil stands up in the green room and it gets awkward. He's like, hang on, I got to move oh. my camera. And we're like, oh, ah, I'm not going to tell yeah. you what he's wearing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Josh, I want to I want to uh, go into, into one, one more line of questioning before we start wrapping here. Uh, for the folks watching this, and again, they've, they, I think th the reason why we got some excitement when I announced you for the show because a lot of people like what you have to say. Uh, you're super friendly. You're super giving. And first, so, so from us and, and, and everybody else in Herc, we really appreciate it. Um, for all those folks listening, um, what, you know, for folks that are kind of worried about this year, what, what is the, your best advice to give them as they are looking forward to the rest of the year? What should they do to have a great year despite the economic headwinds? Like, what's your advice? Uh, first of all, don't spend more than you're making. Uh, I remember back in the day when I was deciding to buy a house, I went really poor to plan for the bad times. Um, but pick a geography, pick a niche, pick something you somewhat enjoy talking about. Um, you don't have to love it, but don't hate it. Um, and do research, make a plan. And the key here is execute on your plan. If you're not making the phone calls, if you're not making the emails, if you're not doing reach outs on LinkedIn, your competitor is, and you will not make money. If you're all over the place, you will not make money. Pick one lane and stay in your lane. That's the biggest thing. And we're all salespeople here. We're all entrepreneurs and we all see shiny objects. And we're like, Oh, look, a squirrel, uh, like a dog. You see money everywhere, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, but find that, find that, you know, walking thirty thousand dollar NPC candidate, you know. And, and usually, if you, if you got to pick a candidate, you know, if you don't know what the NPC is, in my opinion, that's someone with good tenure, after <laughs> four years ideally, um, with their employer, and a good skill set that someone uh, that that a company will want to hire, and and they are they are reasonable in their expectations, and they have. Uh, the uh, reasons they want to make a move beyond just money. Now that just money equation has slightly changed. I would say in the past few years with inflation, I mean, cause half of our job I think is, is educating our clients on, Hey guys, inflation's real here. So let's come up with some more salary, but they got to have more reasons to want to make a move than money. Come on guys. They'll end up taking that counter offer that will happen. So uh, pick your lane, make the calls and don't give up. If you give up, then you won't make money. But if you just keep going, you will make money. So, well, some of the and best recruiters I know, some of the richest recruiters I know, uh, got started in the last recession back in you know oh eight oh nine. I mean, it's it's the uh, you know you get really good. What and actually, uh, Josh, I know you can attest to this. You get really good when your back is against the wall. You got a gun to the head, and you've got you you got to make something happen. And that's the that's the time where you can get really good because you're really it could be, uh, because you have emotional leverage. Like, like I know from talking to you, and I remember that story that you told me um, from from back in uh, the lockdowns. I, I remember that mm -hmm. you've you, your back has been against the wall a couple times in this business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and also that's another thing too. Turn off social media. Turn off the news. Turn off like get rid of cable if you can. Stop paying attention to what's going Except around. Except for one o'clock on Thursdays. Don't turn off social media. Thursdays <laughs> at one p.m. Yes. Eastern time. But you go ahead on it. Yes. And watch the replays for to take additional notes. But um, you know, if you if you just stay focused and you just ignore everything around you, create your own reality. 
wake up every day. It's, it's all in the mindset too. I mean, do not think you're not going to do well today. Wake up every day. You're going to kill it. You keep, you keep going and you will eventually, you know, keep putting enough uh, uh, coins in that uh, slot machine. You'll win jackpot. You make enough phone calls, enough emails, you'll get jackpot. And then you'll figure out how, then you'll become, eventually you move to the blackjack table. You'll figure out how to play blackjack. And then you can start strategizing of how to grow and get better and better and better as a headhunter. So you can always know every year, no matter what, you can make six figures, 200, 250. It's just got to keep going. It's really yeah, it, yeah. It's 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 so important to to put yourself in a position to succeed. I think a lot of people, they they're 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 too afraid to show up to the dance. You know what I mean? Um, and and yes, gotta show. Even if you don't have a date, you gotta show up to the dance every single time. Show up to the dance. Show up to the dance. So make your calls, etc. I think a lot of people just don't put themselves in positions to succeed. And I also think that people also sometimes when their backs are against the wall, they freeze. And I think that's a big one. They cause it's because it's easy to you know do the doom scroll on facebook and get lost now for the next couple hours because you're 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 it's a form of escapism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and that's really dangerous what i do whenever i want to freeze is i end up calling my peers counterparts etc to get motivated from you guys motivation from you guys you know it's like you know feeling down give someone a call see they're having the same issues whatever but you build each other up hang up bang out a few more phone calls the staying in your lane thing too, I think sometimes it's a shiny object syndrome that gets in the way of that, but also sometimes it's fear, right? Especially if you're less experienced. And I mean, I get like at one point, not, you know, like I was less focused, right? And, and and there were stages in my 20 years of doing this that I wasn't as narrow in certain areas. And, and I could say without, with complete certainty, there was way, way more money when I was focused in, in certain lanes. Um, but I, I, I can relate to on some level at some point in time, the fear of like, what if I'm going down the wrong path? Right. You know what I mean? And I think people don't always give themselves enough time to let it actually play out. Right. They, they try to try a little bit of everything because they feel like what they're doing at that roulette table is putting it all on red or black. They're putting basically putting their money on red and black. And then they're like actually not even breaking even because they're pretty like, you know what I mean? Like the, they're, they're not giving enough. They're not letting the plants grow. Right. So you're not you're afraid sometimes to put a bunch of energy into a particular path that you know if you just stick to it for a bit it'll work but then you're like well i should hedge my bets i should also work on this i should also work on that and immediately you're dividing your attention um now it's easier said than done i get but um i, I do think that's a very real factor in, in people's heads especially if they're newer to this and they don't have the confidence that comes from having seen some cycles yes I, I would agree. I mean, I started in 2011, so I don't know if that's, um, you know, we were just coming out of the downturn from 08 timeframe within the oil and gas time uh, uh, side. And so I learned in a candidate's market because there was jobs everywhere and you can get a candidate seven different offers, literally. And I did that a few times. Um, not seven. He had seven. I got him four. But uh, the, 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 if you, <clears throat> Stay in your lane and you learn all the information, you know what's best for the candidate. If you if you know what why you're doing this, and for me, I'm doing this because I like to help people, then you'll always be able to do well in this industry. And you stay in your lane, you get the information you need, you can give good advice to everyone, and eventually you become known as the expert and people start listening to you. That's that's all you that's all you can do. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a big believer in staying in your lane and I I've tried 
diversifying. I've been a generalist. Okay. I made 30,000 to $70,000 that year in being a journalist. I don't remember. It's just like, I've tried it all. Okay. I've learned the best way to do it is to stay, pick a lane and stay in the lane and don't give up because your, your competition will. And I think you can have a couple lanes too. Like you can diversify a little, like you could have a couple of focuses. So don't have to put all your eggs in one basket, but you can't be all over the place either. Right now to each other. Yeah. I like right now, for instance, I'm making time to strategically expand my niche, but it's, it's also one that's going to hopefully cover me for whenever the next downturn in my niche happens naturally. But it's, it's, you can't just, completely pivot. You have to be strategic about it. Been, you know, I'm a big believer. This career can be done four hours a day. If you really plan appropriately and make the calls properly, it's like a lifestyle career. So for me, it was like four hours in a dead market, four hours in a market. I'm trying to make money in. Um, so, so you know, there's a term when I was thinking the whole time you were talking and I love the shiny object analogy and all that stuff, but anything that's not in your lane that appears, there's a term for it. it's called fool's gold right? Mm. And just stay away from fool's gold, right? It's mm-hmm. fake. It's not, it's, you see, it's not real, right? And that's why I was thinking the whole time. I love the shiny object thing. And Josh, really great job. I think, um, yeah, thank you for all your work in the groups, you know, because we talked about that in the green room. You're, you're one of a, a just a, a bunch of people. You just do it because you like to do it and you help people. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why I love this business, man. I love this yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's it. Uh, and said it's time for us to get get to start wrapping up here. Uh, Josh, I really appreciate appreciate you having on the call or having you on the call. Um, again, I've known you for for a long, long time, so it's a special treat to have you on because I've always enjoyed talking to you. So yeah, Happy thank you very much, back. Josh. Really, really appreciate it. And for those who, who just somebody just asked if there's going to be a replay, once the live ends, just refresh your page and you should be able to watch it from the beginning. So replay is no problem at all. Uh, tune in next week. Next week we will have um, William Spangler, another great uh, contributor uh, to the group. And Josh, again, thank you very much, man. Really great having you on. So thank you. All right, everybody, peace out, everybody.